But everybody who listens to their voice back, their voice is higher than they thought because yes. when you when you talk, you hear some of like your skull and like deep vibrations happening in your that own head, basically. That yeah. does not that is not communicated to the outside. So, so Dan, you must sound like Barry White in your own head because <laughs> your voice <laughs> is very deep. <laughs> I wonder what Barry White sounds like to himself. <laughs> Just an endlessly plucked bass note off of like an electric bass guitar. <laughs> it is it is annoying if I'm in a really loud place. I can't have a conversation with anyone. Like the, the number of times I just give up and like go in a corner because I cannot talk to anyone. <laughs> they can't hear me no matter how loudly I speak. And I'm assuming it's because of my deep voice. Welcome to another episode of Not Your Father's Movies. I'm Vito. I'm Dan. And I'm Jesse. We're the dad fathers coming at you, repeating and coming at you with some energy. Repeating and coming at you with some energy? <laughs> repeating and coming at you with some energy. Repeating and coming at you with some energy? Yeah. <laughs> there it is. There's a resolution. Yeah, we got to stop that. <laughs> The reason we're doing this, everyone, is that we are cracking open a new series today. Uh, it's an exciting day. It's, it's the first time we've done a new series in the new year that wasn't just tied to one franchise, which is really cool. Mm. Really happy to do it. We're doing time loop romances, which is crazy that we have a whole series with enough movies for that series to exist. It is pretty amazing. Yeah. And we're going to repeat and repeat and repeat those things and live and die until the end of Groundhog Day. So our we first might episode, even live, die, and repeat until the edge of tomorrow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but we're here today with the first episode. It's Groundhog Day from 1993, the year of my birth. So this is obviously the best one that we're going to do. Hmm. I mean, it heralded my coming hmm. into the world. You guys were already alive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. You were just waiting for me that's to be true. here. That's true. <laughs> you were like it made Groundhog Day for you. That's what it is. Oh, thank you. And you were like the repeat of us because you, you were the last one. Maybe you're the best one because you're the evolved. You know what? I'm going to stop. According to Groundhog Day logic, I would be the best one. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, or maybe you're just the depressed suicidal one. Who knows oh. what stage this landed on? <laughs> Am I jumping in front of semi trucks? Am I dropping toasters in bathtubs? We don't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> But this is obviously the classic comedy from 1983 starring Bill Murray, written and directed by Harold Ramis. Before we get into that, let's talk about a, a segment that we've been doing for a while. I think I really like it. I think that we should just keep doing it if y'all are down. It's the what have we been watching or our family's been watching. We need to come up with a, with a catchier title, I think. A and any thoughts on what we can call this? What's up? <laughs> <laughs> what's up? <laughs> oh, this is what's up. All right. You know, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what's up. I watched uh, The Power of the Dog, and I really didn't like it. Oh. Oh. Like, the more that I think about it, the more I'm like, wow, that was just, like, really depressing and sad. And, like, I just, I didn't like anybody. I didn't care much about what happens after, like, half the movie, for the second half of the movie. Yeah. Maybe that's my The Power of the Dog hot take. But it's also up for Best Picture this year, isn't it? 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a front runner. It's up for a bunch of them. Yeah, I think it actually has the most, most nominations. Yeah, yeah, you're right, Dan. Uh, Twelve, um, I believe. Yeah, I would understand for actor and cinematography. Maybe best score. The score is really good. Yeah, man. If I'm going to watch a movie about a bunch of people that I don't like, I think they should be doing something interesting or I should find a lot in their character to analyze. And I didn't find either of those things. I just found people just, I'm just being really sad and not being able to ever get out of it. And it seemed like that's what the movie was about. Things suck. It's like, all right. Well, no, they they do get out. They, They do get out of it. I don't want to spoil the power yeah. of the dog, but they definitely get out of it. <laughs> In a way. I think the idea at the end of it is that is that things have gotten better for several of the characters, maybe? Yeah, three of four. Yeah. I'm not going to spoil the other one, but yeah, three of four characters are way better off at the end. Uh, um, I think two are. Anyway. That's interesting. I I felt like the exact opposite from you. I mean, I guess not the exact opposite, but when... When I watched it, like when I first watched it, I was like, this is a trash movie. This is garbage. And then I thought about it a little bit and I didn't think that ever. It's it's a very well-made yeah. movie, but yeah, yeah. But I was it, I was frustrated. I was really frustrated. I, I wrestled with this movie a good bit. I like it a good deal more now than I did initially. And I guess to clarify what I meant, like, I, yeah, I think it sucks, but it's more like maybe only one character has agency and the rest are just like wallowing and they, they don't know how to fix anything. Like there are bad relationships and they're just, they're just bad. Um, there's nothing to be done about it. And that, that rang true for me watching it, especially given that, you know, we have, we have Phil uh, who's, who's obviously going through a crisis himself, but he's using a misanthropy to sort of deal with that crisis. And he's lashing out at everyone in his life and, and making them miserable uh, because of some, a, a deep core, kind of trauma in his mm-hmm. character that he can't ever get over. And because of how kind of abusive and violent he is, not like physical violence, but it's emotional abuse that he's, he's and, and mental abuse. He's leveling upon the people in his life, you know, calling his brother fatso all the time and yeah. driving Kirsten Dunst to drink, you know, calling the, his, his nephew, you know, homophobic slurs. It kind of makes sense to me that a lot of the characters wouldn't know what to do because Phil is not a bad guy. Like he's not evil, he's certainly not pleasant, nor is he likable. But that's a that's a hard case when you have an abuser in a tight family relationship like that. I mean, he lives with them. It's hard to cut that guy out. It's hard to do anything, especially given the history that Jesse Plemons' character has with him. It's a really complicated situation, and it's very feels very true to life for me um, through things that I've noticed or things that I've experienced in my own life. So it makes sense to me that no one would really know what to do, and it can seem like wallowing. But I I think it's more than that. I think it's the flailing of innocent people who don't know how to deal with an abuser because of the widespread ramifications that, that would do to their lives as a whole. And I thought that it was it was very sensitive and, and very well observed, even if I agree it is definitely slow, far too slow than it needs to be. Well, it's funny that you just brought all that up. Like, yeah, people are just kind of like flailing because I think we're probably, I'm personally probably going to talk about that later in this episode about this movie. But it's funny that I can talk about that. You're right. This is kind of about uh, this is about something totally different than Groundhog Day. This this sort of like dealing with this sort of person who's been through this sort of emotional trauma. But it's also when I'm watching a movie about that. If I'm watching, especially if it's supposed to be a drama, which this is supposed to be a drama, it, it feels like. And there's not enough. There's not really enough drama here. Don't want to just see flailing and 
not knowing what to do, I would like to focus on characters who are doing something. I think I'll pass the torch to somebody else. I I, uh, I do appreciate what you're saying about it, but I don't think my opinion about the power of the dog is really going to change. That's fair. I just, I mean, we're talking about it, so I just wanted to uh, to, to weigh in, because it's not a movie that we, 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 maybe in our Oscar episode, we might discuss it a little bit more, but it's not a movie that's going to come up a lot. Um, yeah. You don't think this is a, a tried and true dad movie? No. You know? You know, no, I don't. Think I think that this, the, dog mm-hmm. is a movie. the power of the dad does not lie with, <laughs> with this one. I would love to talk more about power of the dog, maybe later in the year when we do the Oscar episode, because I mean, it is a big front runner and I think we do have a lot of thoughts to say about it. I don't like, I don't want to, I'm not here being like, yeah, power of the dog. Cause I didn't particularly like the movie. I just think that it was very well made and I would yeah. like to discuss the ideas at the heart of it, but in, in no way that I finished the movie and be like, yes, that resonated deeply. It was more just like, oh, that was a very well-made, really unpleasant time. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That, that's the same. I, it's definitely, I kind of like that it was made and that it is a really like the biggest Oscar front runner because I want more movies like this, not maybe this story or something, but it's like, it's a serious movie. Like yeah. this is a work of art. Yeah. That's serious and takes itself seriously. I, I like that. I, I agree. I would like more serious yeah. movies that don't feel self-serious, but also don't feel the need to wink at the camera. Yeah. Like bring back an R-rated drama. Yeah. You know, that's All what about I want. That. All about I, those I did get a few movies. moments of that. There were a lot of scenes where like, the, who's the main character? Phil? I guess he's technically the main character. Where he was looking at the boy and like, like when he's like pounding the stake into the ground, or he's always like putting something into a hole. <laughs> it just it felt. I was just like, this is really uncomfortable. I just felt like a. It almost felt like that. Um, what's that movie? It's the Dewey Cox story. Let's Walk hard. do it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> when they're like doing a bunch of like innuendos, like right in front of each other. Uh, that's what it. I there were many scenes in this movie that I'm like, oh man, that's got to be really intentional. I. I thought it was a little too ham distant in and... yeah, yeah, but the, the yeah. cinematography is still beautiful. Anyway. It's um, it, it's tough with like slow movies too. I feel like making a movie that slow, you're always limiting your audience yeah. to a certain number of people that enjoy slow movies. And even myself, there's very rare times that I'm in the mood for a slow movie. So it's it's tough. Like the mood that even I'm in would determine how I, you know, receive a movie like The Power of the Dog. For that reason, I tend to, like, it's not a movie that I would ever recommend, I don't think, because because it's so, like, dependent on your dispositions and what you've been through in your life, and that's kind of my take on it, but... I think, I think that, that's wise. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that's a pretty good take. It, it really does depend on, like, what what you've seen done yourself yeah. and the kind of people you know, because, I'm, yeah. As someone, though, yeah. that is from Montana and Wyoming... New Zealand sure as shit does not look like Montana, all right? <laughs> not for one second was I like, yes, the American West. <laughs> that was shot in New Zealand? Yeah, yeah. entirely. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, I mean, you just you can just tell, like, there's a little hobbits just walking over these mountain ranges, all right? Like, you look in the background, you see a tall wizard with a staff. Anyway, um, enough power of the dog. Let's, let's, let's pause that for, for a little bit. Uh, Mike, what have you been watching? Well, this weekend, we had... Oh, wait, I'm sorry, Mike. I don't want to interrupt you, but I have to say, what's up? Oh, that's right. What's (laughs) up with me is that this weekend, we had a family movie night. 
And we watched, because of your recommendations, uh, Kung Fu Panda. Yay! It was great. Oh, nice. It was so yeah. much fun. They loved it. They they were big fans of the whole thing. Um, it's fun, right? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's so much fun. I was a big fan of the whole thing. I'd never seen it before. And it was a blast. We had a great time. The action um, scenes are incredible. Oh, they really are. Like, like, really good. Yeah. Yeah. I was very surprised by that. How... Uh, I don't know how much like actual fun it was to watch. And then afterwards we were practicing Kung Fu in the backyard. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> Kids are jumping around. They're like, I'm going to be the dragon warrior. Dad's the dragon warrior. We're all the dragon warriors. <laughs> and you shut that down. You said, no, I'm the dragon warrior. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, dad's the dragon warrior. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I really enjoy that movie. I haven't seen it. I still haven't shown it to my kids yet. Do that's it. It's a great suggestion though. That's fine. Yeah. I feel like I feel like your son will definitely want to be a good guy. At yeah. the end. Well, actually, no, you know I, don't what? Know. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, because because Mr. Snow Leopard there, he is. Whoa, he he's is quite a cool dude. Cool. Yeah, he's pretty cool. Yeah. The scene where he breaks out of prison was almost too much for my older daughter. Yeah, because she's the one who's just like jumpy and bounces around a lot. And, and she can get kind of like, oh, my gosh, there's a lot of drama. Maybe I'm going to leave. Uh, but she stayed. She stayed for it. I was very proud of her. It was very brave. And my younger daughter was like, wow, this is terrifying, but it's so cool. This is cool, right, Dad? Like, am I right that this is cool or should I be afraid? He's using crossbow bolts as a staircase, yeah. you know? <laughs> I was just very sure to be very vocal. I'm like, oh, this is so awesome. Look, he's using crossbow bolts as a staircase. <laughs> and they're like, okay, this seems like terror, but I no, guess it's, it's, it's fun. excitement is what yeah. you're feeling. <laughs> later on, later on, uh, or a couple days ago, my older daughter was like, you know, there's sometimes where things are scary, but you know, it's actually kind of fun. It's like, yeah, that's right. That's right. Wow. Very good. So there's a lot of adults the... that don't know that. Yeah. <laughs> good for so you. So we're going to watch the ring next. Yes. <laughs> the ring is perfect. Yeah. Dan, Dan, have you shown this to your kids? I have not. I've actually not seen Kung Fu Panda since it was in theaters, I think. So I was probably a teenager when it came out. But yeah, it's definitely now that both of you guys have had success with your families, I'll definitely put it on the list. Yeah. I know my son would, my oldest son would love it. Like he yeah. loves everything animated with action. So I'm sure he'll. He'll be a huge fan. This is the definition yeah, there, of animated action. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and there aren't a whole lot of like, action oriented cartoon for kids like ray and the last dragon came out a while ago i i, I hated it yeah um, i hated it too jesse <laughs> yeah <laughs> and there's like a, a oh, wait. couple others jesse jesse like, no don't don't forget the classic the legend of the guardians the owls of gahul <laughs> of course that owl movie from Zack snyder <laughs> That is amazing. It's amazing. I, I, I keep on hearing it's amazing, but Zack Snyder, I don't care about Zack Snyder anymore. <laughs> it's rad. Get this guy out of my life. It's rad as hell. You, you, you're missing out, man. I'll, I'll watch it next year. Ugh. Next year, because I, I don't know. I've watched too many Zack Snyder movies. For you're, my probably gonna have to watch, you're probably going to have to watch it when Dan has a birthday. Just saying. And I'm here for you, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 have, I have like a, a, a dirty little secret, guys. I am I am excited for his not Star Wars, Star Wars. Movie. Like, I'm actively excited <laughs> what for is it. Called? I don't like know Rebels why. Or what is it called? Yeah, Rebel Moon. Rebel Moon. That's like, right. I'm, that just, 
I really want to see a movie called Rebel Moon. That it's sounds true. great. That sounds really good to me. I mean, you just finished playing The Outer Worlds. Yeah. So you are in a Rebel Moon headspace. I, I, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But I, I feel like a little bit like that's a dirty, dark secret. For I'll me. keep Zach my dirty little secret. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. Dan, what's up? <laughs> Oh man, what's up? Let's see. My wife and I recently watched a really good movie. It was a recommendation from a bunch of teacher friends of mine. And it's about, well, it's called Another Round. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, it's about a bunch of teachers. It's a German film, so it's all in German, but there's subtitles. And it's got Mad Mickelson, yeah. who's, who's amazing in it. And, um, it's about a bunch of teachers who essentially they do a like social experiment where they uh, retain like a low level of intoxication for a prolonged period of time. And they, they try to see if they're microdosing alcohol. <laughs> essentially. Yeah. Like they, and they, they're very scientific about it and they log all of their findings and they're trying to figure out if it like has a good effect or a bad effect to their, their social and professional lives. It's really good, though. Really, really good. So I think, actually, I think we're watching that tomorrow night. Oh, uh, really? For the movie that, night, yeah. That's cool, because I've been excited to see this movie ever yeah. since. I think it was Mike that brought it up in the, the top five episode over a year ago. Mm. Still haven't seen it since then. Same. But, yeah, uh, I keep meaning to see it. I, I do like I do like this guy. I, this director is Thomas well Enterberg. Yeah, Vinterberg. I think I've seen a cut. Didn't he? Um, he did do the hunt. He did the hunt. Yeah, which is another one about a teacher. Okay, and much different I, scenario. I, <laughs> much different scenario. Yeah, I, I watched that before becoming a teacher, and I was terrified ever since. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's about a kindergarten kindergarten teacher who, like, his student comes out and accuses him of of molesting her, mm. and then the small town just turns on him instantly. And I think you know at the outset it's like not true. Sure. But like she just she just says it. I guess this guy really likes teachers. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. funny that your your teacher friends recommended another round. Yeah. No, they love it. I don't remember which one in particular mentioned it, but right when he mentioned it, all of them were like, Yes, that is a great movie. <laughs> so are, have you're they a fan also of been mind? trying the uh the alcohol experiment? Where they're um, maintaining a low level of independently of each other. <laughs> I guess yeah. we'll know in a few a few years if they can break dance. But <laughs> yeah, um, man, it, I it was it was so it was very interesting. It was it's a beautiful movie in a lot of ways, and it's a really weird movie because I feel like any American movie that would take up this premise would have a very clear sort of clearly defined sort of ending. where like, this is a bad idea. Right. And like alcohol is destructive. And mm. this movie, I don't know if it comes down with an opinion don't at spoil the it. end. Yeah. I'm not mm. going to spoil anything that might even yeah. be a spoiler itself, but it's about so much more than that. There's also this sort of background story that I found really interesting sort of about about the movie. I, I don't know if you know this, Dan, but Thomas Vinterberg tragically lost his daughter sort of right before they started filming this movie. She was going to be in it. She was going to be in it to a drunk driving incident. Yeah. Um, wow. And uh, this movie is dedicated to her. And his speech at the, at the Academy Awards when he got the uh, yeah. Best International Film 
he he had a really beautiful speech about her and um, talked about how how it was a comedy and it was really moving actually. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that adds to how moving this movie is. In in I don't know, I feel like like yeah. sort of all the things that you say about it. Everything I heard about it made me think like, oh, this is going to be a a dark movie. It's really yeah. not right. Like it's it's very right. much not a dark movie. Um, it's a very what's the word? It's a very split movie. Like you feel like there are moments when you should be laughing and there are moments when you should be crying and you're not sure at what scenes you're supposed to do that. It's yeah. very, yeah. No, the only other tidbit I did hear is that the, the singer of the final song that I think it's called it's, it's our life or something like that, or it's my life. Okay. The singer of that, that final song where he, he dances the the singer was a best friend of his daughter's of oh, the director's wow. daughter mm-hmm. and that he remembers driving both of them home from parties where both of them were you know completely drunk and that part that that was also going through his head was being a father and driving your you know your teenage kids home from parties like that so wow that, that that's another round um I, I i really need to revisit i, I need to go to this yeah. one and see it i yeah, but the it, fact it, that it's you been and years, watching it. <laughs> but the fact that it's been a year since I recommended it to both of you, yeah. and you haven't watched it, is totally on par with all of my recommendations. It's on so par with all, okay. all, almost all of mine to all of you guys as well. All right, we are a very I, we we respect each other, but really ignore each other. <laughs> I watched Limbo, Mike. You did. I that watched was, Limbo, Mike. That was like the sweetest thing you guys have ever done for me. Yeah. <laughs> you, can, you can sniff butts, right? and. And I invited, I think I had Letney over to watch Limbo with with me, and I I didn't like Limbo that much. <laughs> I, I do appreciate quite a bit of it, though. It still stuck with me, but Letney really liked it. Yeah. So I could say I, I got Letney to like it for you, on behalf of you. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Letney likes it now. I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> because of you, someone else likes it. That's not <laughs> just <laughs> Likes that movie. That's great. <laughs> Awesome. Fantastic. Awesome. Hey, Vito. Yeah. What's up? <laughs> this is horrible. I'm <laughs> always going to laugh at it. It's got to be a thing from now on. As long as we just keep it up, we, we can't do the was up. That's really annoying and super dated and I hate it. Oh, yeah. But oh. if we keep it like high, I can deal with that. Okay. What's up? I'm, What's I'm, up? I'm down with that. Yeah. Okay. Well, tonight before this podcast, so I previously shared that me and my family really enjoyed watching Paddington. And we just watched Paddington 2. And I am one of those obnoxious people who says, Paddington 2, five stars. This movie's incredible. This movie's incredible. It's so wonderful. I I loved it to pieces. I think it's beautiful. It's funny. It's engaging. I would, like, my wife made a point halfway through. She's like, I would just watch this. Like, the kid does not have to be here. I would watch this. And I a a thousand percent agree. I would just watch it. Yeah. It's it's delightful. It's it's deep. It's it's emotional, but it's not sappy. It's not melodramatic in any way. It's very it, it touches every point exactly as it should be touched and moves on exactly when it should. It never overstays its welcome. I think I think it's a beautiful movie. I, I, I loved it a lot. And I, I thought I was like, there's no way I'm going to like this more than the first Paddington because I like that one so much. But no, no, it's it's fantastic. Hugh Grant is evil. He's evil. He's a really bad dude. And he's a bad dude. He's an actor who has like, who has a a kind of a disassociative disorder where he, 
he has a bunch of these mannequins that have all of his favorite costumes on around him. And he's got this whole plot to steal this thing that Paddington really wants. I don't want to spoil it. Um, but he, 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 in a goal, in like a, a Smeagol kind of way, like a Gollum way, he is putting on different voices and the camera focuses on the different mannequins as he uses different accents for everybody while he talks to himself. But it's funny and it's a kid's movie and it's never like sad and he's never scary. Like the tone is perfect. The tone is, is a wall to wall perfect. It's, it's family friendly for literally any age. There were numerous times where my daughter, because some of the humor is very cringy, I looked at my daughter and she's actively cringing, like trying to hide. There's moments where it's really sweet and I look over and she's she's smiling at how nice it is. And other moments where something bad will happen to Paddington and I just see like this frown on her face. Um, it was just so easy for her to follow, but it was also complex enough for me to be really interested. So Paddington 2, man, it's amazing. Fantastic. All right. I can't think of a single thing wrong with it. I love it very much. Yeah, I think I've written it off because it's called Paddington 2, yep. which is up there for me with like the country bears too, the country two bears. I'm not even sure yeah. it's a movie. But. I think we just yeah, came I, up with that one, but yeah, it's a great title. <laughs> I remember watching the, the trailers to the, I think it was the first Paddington here in the States. And it was, it just looked like, yeah, your next cringy kids movie, like this bear that gets up, you know, into all these hijinks and, it just looked so, so dumb. I didn't watch it yeah. for, I think, a decade because of those trailers. But then I, I heard it on a, it was some sort of like top movies list. And they were raving about Paddington. I'm like, what in the world? This is a, a dumb kids movie. Like, this shouldn't be on here. And uh, my wife and I checked both of them out. And yeah, we were both floored by them. Like, there's so much, there's so much to them. And it's so clever. And it's got the British thing going for it. Where yeah. it's you know, the, the humor is right on, on point. So yeah, it's, it's, it's rye, it's dry. It's, it's never crude, but it's always very clever. Like it's, it's, it's a PG rated Edgar Wright, but not nearly so manic, but it it's, I don't know. Yeah. I think it's beautiful. I think, yeah. Well said Dan. Yeah. It's, you guys got to watch them. They're great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did, did you show it to your kids too? We have not. We watched them before we had kids. Oh, okay. So in the before times, <laughs> before for see, you don't need them. Nope. You don't need kids to enjoy them. That's true. That's really cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Like this is, yeah, this would probably be a better date night movie for for me and my wife rather than uh, Prisoners or <laughs> or Last Night in Soho or any of the other movies that we watched on TV. It would be a nice change, but also no, I watched these blind with both of them with my child who's four and I, I was completely okay with everything on screen. Cool. There's one part where Hugh Grant dresses up as a nun, which I thought would be offensive, but it was actually really funny. (laughs) Fantastic. (laughs) Anyway, that's what's up. What's up. What's up. What's up. What's up? What's up? What's better? That's what's up! There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Just have Mike do them all. That's what I wanted. <laughs> Great. Yeah. And now we're going to get back into our main feature here, Groundhog Day, directed by Harold Ramis. You might know this man from being the writer of Animal House, Meatballs, Caddyshack, Stripes, Ghostbusters, Analyze This and That, and then director of many of those projects as well. He's a comedy legend who, who passed away in 2014. Um, very sadly missed. Do you guys have a favorite uh, Harold Ramis, or is this it? This is it. This is it. Yeah, same. I, I got to say, Ghostbusters, really, I didn't like it as much as when I was a kid, but recently, I did watch it. And 
I finally got why it was so funny. Like as a kid, mm-hmm. I was waiting for like the Jim Carrey antics of like the joke a minute, but I, I finally got it. And I, I laughed until I cried. <laughs> He's got a very specific sense of humor though. And I, and I like that it's not only so specific that you can clearly tell what's a Harold Ramis project, but you can also clearly see how in pop culture that kind of humor has come through, you know? But it stars uh, uh, Bill Murray. We know him from previous episode of Fantastic mm-hmm. Mr. Fox. So I don't want to shout out too many of his things, but uh, let's shout out some different ones. Uh, Tootsie, Little Shop of Horrors. What about Bob? Uh, Space Mm -hmm. Jam, Rushmore, Lost in Translation, Life Aquatic, Fantastic Mr. Fox, and The French Dispatch. That's right. (laughs) Yes, Mike's favorite movie from last year. So good. Also, not a single award nominee. Also, Ghostbusters. Also, Ghostbusters. Yes. Um, And then also starring Annie McDowell, who's the mother to Margaret Qualley from our Once Upon a Time in Hollywood episode, but herself is also the star of Sex, Lies, and Videotape, Four Weddings and a Funeral, Ready or Not, and then also the Netflix show that came out just this past year, which also stars her daughter, Made, which I've been hearing a lot of really good things about, but uh, have not found the time to check out. She's in Ready or Not? Yeah, she's she's the aunt. Okay. Yeah, yeah, she's Damn. she's the one that's like you should you should get out of here while you still can. <laughs> okay, I yeah, I think she was around more in the nineties. Like I, she has one of those faces that I remember watching quite a bit. Besides just Groundhog Day, or not quite a bit, but like seeing her every now and then. And now I don't really, I feel like I don't see her anymore. But I haven't seen the maid, so I guess I'd be watching. Yeah. Her credits recently have been a lot of TV shows, but in the 90s, she was kind of a rising star. With, I mean, Sex, Lies, and Videotape is uh, Steven Soderbergh's big breakout movie, the one like the Palme d'Or at Cannes. And then Four Weddings and a Funeral, she worked with you know Hugh Grant. It was a really big romantic comedy that came out then that also launched. I think that's the same guy that did, like, what's that one that everyone hates? Love, Love Actually. Mm-hmm. I think it's mm-hmm. that guy. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. yeah. I could be wrong. Don't quote me on that. But um... Some people love it. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's like someone thoughts. else in this movie. Who, oh my gosh, what Steve, I are you talking about Stephen Tobolowsky? No, I'm not talking about Stephen Tobolowsky. I am talking about someone who apparently no one else noticed. He's a big star. He's been on this, on our podcast before. Michael Shannon. Michael Shannon is in this movie. Is Michael Shannon in this movie? Michael Shannon is in this Where movie. Where is Michael Shannon? Is he like a newspaper guy? No, he is the guy who, uh, there's, there's obviously a lot of other people, but he is the guy who gets married to the girl. Oh, that's Michael Shannon. He's Academy got like one Award line. <laughs> nominated <laughs> actor Michael Shannon. Yeah, and like great, <laughs> intense actor, great bad guy Michael Shannon. Yes. Yeah, he is in this movie. He, it's like, his, it's his second movie ever. Wow. It's incredible. Yes. Good job. Remind Mike, could you please remind the audience who Michael Shannon is? So he's so there's this this couple that you get introduced to in Are, are you asking I don't think I mean, I mean, oh, yeah. outside Michael, of Michael here. Shannon um, the bad guy in Shape of Water. Yeah, he's the bad guy in Shape of Water, uh, uh everyone's favorite movie. <laughs> and oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's the sheriff that has the stomach cancer, nocturnal animals. Yeah. Yeah. Go, go ahead, keep going. Well, uh, he's in that, and then he's in. He's in Cold in July. He's in. Uh, he's in. What's that one? Uh, the one where he's the the guy who has the the post apocalyptic visions, and he builds like the thing in the back. Take shelter. Take shelter. Uh, yeah. Shotgun Diaries, right? He's also in uh, the other one from Mike Nichols about his kid who has the psychic powers. Midnight Special. Yeah. Uh, you, you still haven't gotten it. Oh, uh, Zod. 
from Man of Steel. You still you still haven't gotten the movie that that he's in that we've talked about on this podcast. Oh, I wasn't thinking about that. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just doing oh. random ones. Knives Out. He's, <laughs> he's, he's in Knives out. out. He's in Knives Out. He's uh, he's the the son who's got like the cane in Knives Out. He's really physically intimidating. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, well, let's get into some nostalgia and first impressions. Jesse, as the father of this collection of movies, um, you, you you have you've birthed them all. Thank you very much. Oh, um, you're welcome. Oh, really hard. <laughs> what's what's I your pushed. nostalgia for this? Uh, my nostalgia for this movie runs super deep. I think I mentioned before with like trains, planes, and automobiles that, that was a movie that I had watched when I was like pretty young. And that was a movie me and my family consistently watched. The other one was Groundhog Day. I, I watched this movie probably when I was like six or seven. Not all parts. Obviously, there are some parts, you know, where he kills himself. Mm -hmm. I'm <laughs> sure that was, uh, that was blocked out for a few years. I think I still saw that at a slightly younger age. I'm not sure if it was bad for me. I don't think it was. But it did really impact me at the time. Yeah, this is this has been a movie that's been with me and my family for a very long time. I love this movie. I I've always really liked it. I've always thought it was super funny. And then it, when it's not funny, I like to think about what it's presenting here. I think this movie has made me more of like an existential person to some degree. Like this movie first introduced me to the concept of what do you do if you just have all the time in the world? It's something I'd never really thought of before. You just uh, really try hard not to break your glasses. Wait, what? Because you said all short the, story. Yeah, all the time in the world. It's also Twilight Zone episode. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, I didn't watch the Twilight Zone. I just, I just watched this. I watched this. I think that I also watched. I think it was a vampire movie, an old black and white one, where somebody was immortal and he was kind of going crazy. Hmm. That was the only other movie that has introduced me to to this sort of concept. Though. But anyway, uh, when I was younger, I didn't even get the implications, except for the loneliness. The loneliness of this sort of lifestyle was like something that really struck me as a kid. Yeah, and uh, I think I think it stayed with me in like weird ways throughout my life. I mean, it's hard to tell exactly what, but I've always been like fascinated with time travel and reliving the same thing over and over and wondering what you had to do if you have this much time on your hands. Uh, and I love the hopeful note of this movie that says you maybe maybe you become a better person because, of it. or at least you that you can become a better person. Yeah. Um, yeah, love this movie. And I've always loved this movie. I still love this movie. It's still probably a, a five-star movie. I know it probably doesn't really deserve five stars, but I will just give it that. Um, sure. Uh, how about you, Dan? Yeah, I was trying to remember the last time, or the, rather the first time I saw it. I don't remember. I know it was as an adult. I know it, I didn't watch this as a kid, but as an adult, I remember liking it the first time I watched it, and it just kind of stuck with me. I kept thinking about it. And then, you know, these other Groundhog Day type movies would come out and it would always make me rethink about this one and how <laughs> yeah. like this one did it almost better than any of the others in a certain way. It's kind of the, the genesis of all of those other Groundhog Day type movies. And yeah. um, in some ways, I think it's kind of amazing that this one does it so well. A lot of these mm -hmm. Genesis type movies will they'll get a good premise or a good gimmick, but then it takes other directors later down the road to really like, you know, make it interesting or make it impactful or make it meaningful. And this one, 
I think does all of those things really well. Yeah. But and I, I agree with you about it being kind of that like introduction to what would you call it? Like existentialism or, you know, that kind of feeling of living the same day and having all the time in the world. Like what would you do as a person? I remember I had a similar experience when I read the book. It's called um, The Picture of Dorian Gray, where this this guy has like, you know, basically all of his actions are completely, he's devoid of any evil consequence of any of his actions. He doesn't grow older. He doesn't get hurt. He doesn't become ugly by the ugly actions he does. They just go to the painting, right? Yeah, all of his, exactly, the painting or the portrait of him is what receives all of the, the negative effects of his life. And I remember reading that and thinking, wow, I guess I don't need to do all these evil things because somebody else already tried them all and they led to (laughs) unhappiness. So (laughs) I kind of, and that was like teenage me, but I remember having a similar feeling with this. It was like, wow, if I had all the time in the world, I would probably go down a similar path and, you know, try everything, right? (laughs) Yeah. Like no consequences, you know, live it up and. So seeing somebody go through that and not being happy at the end of living it up is mm-hmm. kind of a cool thing to to see. And I think it's really what cinema is supposed to do for us, right? It's supposed to let us live vicariously through the characters and, mm-hmm. and learn something from it. And I think this movie does that in spades. Yeah, that's a very dad concept. Yeah. Yeah, that... Um... It's a dad movie. I'm just going to say that right now. It's already a dad movie. <laughs> Spoilers, Jesse. <laughs> I'll repeat it later in the podcast. All right. What What about you, Mike? First um. Yeah, I think I saw this when I was like 13 or something like that. It was a family or it was a movie night that we had with the the family friends that I grew up with, and uh, it was just it was incredible. I loved it. <clears throat> Still love it. It's hilarious. It's very funny. But it's also like very moving and I, I totally, I felt the same as you guys did, like the loneliness that this guy felt going through day after day of living the same life and not being able to create memories with people, but creating them for himself. I kind of like dug it though. I, I've always kind of dug the Groundhog Day scenario. I've always been like, that would be kind of fun for a little while. Yeah. Um, I get like a solid month out of that. Yeah, I get so much done. Yeah, <laughs> I would be so productive. Uh, I would just turn everything into like GTA. Yeah, I mean, like, like there'd be like every few days it would just be GTA. But, <laughs> but you know, no, and and there were parts of it that the screen was covered for. I remember, but not the suicides. That was really striking. I just remember, <laughs> I just remember like we're going through this funny movie and all of a sudden he kills himself like several times in horrific ways like what is this movie what are we doing here <laughs> yeah yeah i think i think when i watched those scenes my family and like my parents specifically were laughing about that so i was just like oh i, I guess that him dropping the toaster in is supposed to be funny <laughs> yeah. this seems really i i feel like there was sort of a halfway attempt to cover up half of them but by the time he drives the Drives over the the ledge with. You the... see that that's an issue though. That's a murder suicide. <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> like the, 
the, the dad who I was watching it with was just like, he was laughing too much to get in front of the screen. <laughs> when the car just explodes. He was like, I should, ah, this is just too funny. Like, you guys have to see it. This is so funny. Yeah. He's, he's uh, probably okay. Yeah. Um, and probably not. <laughs> it's okay. As soon as, as soon as it explodes and it's all over, it's just, I got you, babe. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. What about you, Vita? What's your nostalgia? I, I did not see this with my family. Um, I saw this with my dad. He showed it to me. Um, it was just a movie night with me and him. Independently of him, though, I had also watched The Truman Show. Oh, pretty yeah. near to this. Um, it's almost the exact same kind of movie. If you look at it, like it's a, it's a comedian that's been famous who is trying to do kind of a dramedy that's about big questions of life. It's a high concept sci-fi thing, but it's also very grounded and relatable and about human relationships. It was incredibly successful and has remained legendary and is called a classic. Like they're very, yeah. very similar. Yeah. Um, okay. And they and also have like trapped in a, in a small town. Exactly. For, for many, many years. Yeah. And anything yeah. that you do, you get stopped, right? Like every time he, Truman tries to leave, there's always something that happens. Yeah. Same way, like him trying to leave his time loop. Yeah. Both, both movies feel really claustrophobic. Yeah. For even though both have like very wide area they're working in. Yeah. They're bottle episodes. They're bottle episodes. Yeah. Bottle episodes. And they're but the difference though is that Groundhog Day is about someone that's fundamentally kind of unlikable, right? And the Truman Show is about how someone can just be so likable. (laughs) Um overwhelmingly likable. And that's what was really funny because I saw them within about a week of each other for the first time. Mm -hmm. And I I thought about them both a lot. They're both not far from my mind. I mean, I don't you, you can see in my background I have I have the Truman Show over there. Um I like the Truman Show a little bit more, but Groundhog Day really matters to me. Because Groundhog Day was the first time I'd seen in a comedy that you could be so kind of cynical about your life, right? <laughs> like, yeah. you can just, there is a joke about many suicides. And it's a really funny joke because he doesn't show you the toaster going in the bathtub. It shows him getting in the bathtub. He hits the down plunger and then it goes to downstairs and all the lights flicker out. <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind of like my nostalgia for this movie is, is, seeing it in conjunction with the Truman show, but also seeing it with my dad and us talking about it. Uh, I think he expected there to be a lot more conversation about the suicide scenes than there was, but this was also when he showed this to me, this is also like inception came pretty closely after this, which is a movie that's where suicide is a mechanic of the movie mm, yeah. <laughs> uh, or killing other people to eject out of the dream. And I remember there was a lot of like to do about, Oh, you know, are these movies glorifying suicide in our kids? And I, I don't think so. I almost showed this to my daughter because it is a very friendly movie and it's really nice. And my mm-hmm. wife was the one who stopped me. And it's like, remember the suicide scenes? I was like, yeah, but I mean, she won't get that. I said, you don't see anything. She's like, well, what about the cursing? I said, oh, yeah, there is like a surprising amount of cursing. You're right about that. But it made me think about it. And so I had known about, I mean, we grew up in pop culture. I had known about the premise of Groundhog Day for a long time. So it wasn't revelatory for me to see it on screen. It's, it's Everyone talks about, oh, you know, it feels like a Groundhog Day and everyone knows what we mean by that. So I was just more primed to be okay with this movie than I think maybe someone who's older than me or someone who's younger than me would be. And it might seem Mm -hmm. more shocking. So really when it came down to it, I was ready out the gate to show this to my daughter, but I think I'll probably wait, but I I don't think too much later than like 11 or 12. Like this is a really friendly film to watch. And even more than that, it's a really fun high concept film that can kind of get Mm -hmm. the ears going. And that that's, that's kind of where I'm at with it. Like I have deep nostalgia for this. I can't wait to show it to my kids. And I think, 
I think early teens, early teens. Uh, what about you, Jesse? I would go with like eight personally. Cool. I guess that's in a couple years from my daughter. Yeah. You know what? Maybe she's not ready for this movie. No, she would not like this movie. I'm, I'm just going to go out on a limb. It's going to be later for her. My son, yeah, he's. I'm probably going to wait until he's eight. But like, I with the suicide stuff, I'm, that doesn't even concern me. I think if we're watching it together, she can gauge my reaction just like I did with my parents, figure out how I should feel right now. And I think there was some talk afterwards, or just a brief mention, like, yeah, don't commit suicide. What he's doing is very bad, but you know, it's, this is a movie. It's like, a, it's like in yeah. Harry Potter, like, you know, they're doing yeah. magic, you can't do magic. It's like in Star Wars, they use the Force, you can't use the Force. It's Groundhog Day, they kill, he kills himself, you can't kill yourself. <laughs> yeah, so it never even, like, crossed my mind this was, like, real at all. Uh, except when I, the, the only scene that's exceptional for that is the scene where he falls off the building, and then you see his dead body, like, laying in the morgue afterwards. That's when it, when I was older, I was like, ooh, that, oh, he's actually dead. He's really dead. He's not just like waking up at 6 a.m. He's like, uh, he's dissociated from his body. His body is still there. That hit me differently. So I probably covered that up. Like, I was like, okay, maybe this is when I, I do uh, what Mike's friend's dad did. Walk in front of the screen for a little bit. And then, uh, and then they continue watching. Like you get up there and then you like fart. You know, <laughs> be be a clown for the kids a little bit. It's an interlude. Yeah. <laughs> <Dad's butt. laughs> How about that you, Dan? A question. Yeah, it is a question of like, what are you going to do to skip scenes as a dad? I feel like, mm. are you going to be the fast forwarder that sometimes misses, you know, key key dialogue? Or... It never works. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like that is what that's the lazy man's that's a lazy dad go to, yeah. but it's never worked for me. <laughs> I, I will I'll usually end up in the middle of the scene I'm skipping. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, my parents are go legendary far. for that. My parents were just like, oh, they want to you know skip boobs and penises, and what do they land on? <laughs> boobs and penises, and what is their instinct to pause? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, pause. Wait, <laughs> and then you try and fast forward, but then it has to like yeah, you know, get and then it goes in slow motion. Like if you're watching on DVD, it's oh, so yeah. funny. Yeah, this VHS it was much harder because then you're physically trying to get to the next point in the tape. Yeah. And mm-hmm. at the, least now we have like skip ten seconds, or you know we can the, click further the, along. The VHS is just like the two gray bars, but you can see everything beyond the gray bars. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Uh, Dan, Dan, what age do you think for your kids or will you? I definitely will show it to my kids. I think, I think probably 13, 14, just because like the language. Yeah. I, I don't really want my younger kids like picking up on that, thinking it's funny to use the, this language. I think that's one that I have to keep reminding myself as a dad, like, it does, it like, my kids will repeat this in school <laughs> yeah. the next day if this is in the movie. And it's, it like, as you become yeah. an adult, it becomes less of a deal. You're like, yeah, they say the F word or they whatever. But it really does matter for kids to hear that stuff. But I also agree that I want them to hear, to, like, see it early enough that they can have these profound ideas, you know, coming into their minds. And so, yeah, I don't know, maybe 13 is too too old because even at 11 and 12 they're probably having some of these ideas like 
they can grasp grasp some of the ideas. So yeah, I'd say thirteen or fourteen for for myself. Like, what do you think? Yeah, I probably eleven, twelve, thirteen, something like that. Yeah, because um, you'd probably do it with the two of your kids who are yeah. pretty close in age. I mean, same sort of thing. Like the cussing, I don't want my kids running around saying dropping f bombs. Okay, uh, sorry. Wait, you guys have both brought it up, but is maybe I glossed over it in my mind completely. Is there that much? There, there's there's some there's some shits and some dams, but yeah, I don't remember I don't, an f word. You're right. I don't remember an f word. But I mean, there's like okay. a liberal. It, this is a this is a 1993 PG movie, yeah. right? So that means like like as we talked about with trains, planes, and automobiles, right? Like that's an R-rated movie because of like 15 f words in one minute, right? Right. But apart from that, it's PG. But like a PG then just meant this could be ET or this is Raiders of the Lost Ark or like you yeah. know this, yeah. any other right. thing. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a grab bag. Yeah. There just won't be nudity. That's all we know. <laughs> yeah. Whereas a PG movie in the 70s will definitely have nudity, which it, is something that it just we discovered. There just won't be like decapitations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because uh, Airplane is PG, right? Yeah. I think yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's, cool. there's this movie about like a sniper or an assassin or something that my mom remembered like, oh, Three Days of the Condor? Maybe? I, no. I can't remember what it's called. My mom was like, oh, this is a great movie I remember from when we were kids. And I'm like, there's Parallax just full, full frontal nudity in it. <laughs> the MPAA, you're going to yeah, say. Yeah, she's like, oh, I didn't think that was going to be here. Uh, well, if you think about it, PG means parental guidance, right? Yeah. So anything that is not really hardcore is just under parental guidance. Yeah, exactly. Like, guide your kids, parents. Yeah, exactly. Like, I feel like Alien was an X rating, but you can see why Alien would be X, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Alien was an X rating? For the, the chest bursting. Yeah. I, I've seen much harder, gorier was, violence in R-rated movies at this point. That's 1979. Yeah. You know. Yeah, just I'm sure people puked in the theater when they first saw that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, so is The Godfather, right? With the multiple killings that happened in that movie. Like, we, and we talked yeah. about The Godfather as well. That's a, that's a fairly solid R. But back then, that was, you know, that, that's almost how taboo and reprehensible that sort of violence would, be, would seem. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, he yeah. wakes up with a horse head in the bed, you know. Yeah, it's so cool. <laughs> I know. It's so cool. That's why it was X, Mike. <laughs> awesome. Uh, wait, wait. The Godfather was X as well? Yeah. What? So idea. many, so much death in that movie. Remember Sonny gets gunned down in broad daylight and, like, bleeds out in the street and beat yeah. gets shot in the street? Yeah. Maybe I never like... mentioned it in the episode, but that was the one moment where I was just like, oh, that's a little corny. <laughs> it's just the way he's like jolting it's just like it's also like it's, it's been like mocked so many times at this point that i can't yeah. help but think of all the mockeries instead of also, also when pacino comes out and like cold-bloodedly murders the the corrupt policeman and the other mob boss like even just context wise like that that's a pretty taboo thing to show yeah mm-hmm. it's pretty um, shocking yeah it comes out and just like blamo right in the head yeah yeah anyway sorry I don't fun times know. Um, why don't we have more movies rated x nowadays guys (laughs) Uh, (laughs) these are legends (laughs) (laughs) that was why (laughs) all right so okay so yeah so so as they enter their teenage years i'll show them this movie where they can question uh the shape and state of their own reality i think that's a great way to grow up yeah yeah what is the real world anyway you want to introduce a little bit of solipsism in there. Oh, yeah. Definitely want to make make them existential. <laughs> <laughs> Great. 
Great. Uh, well, let's get into some of our favorite scenes here now that we've all kind of discussed this and kind of come to an agreement as well as talked about the, the MPAA for a little bit. Um, <laughs> we should talk about that more because that's shocking. Uh, Dan, what is your favorite scene? I think when I, yeah, I think my favorite scene, and it's not for any really deep reason or anything. I just really love the scene when, when Phil comes out of the car and he's dressed up like a cowboy <laughs> and, and he's like putting on this act with like the girl and, and he walks up to the, you know, to the theater or whatever. It's such like a kind of a random scene and there's no real build up to it. Like you see that he's kind of like living up his life before that he's like getting drunk and whatever, but then it's just him living like a fantasy. And I kind of love how it's totally kind of random in the moment and it kind of i don't know there there was it's kind of like relatable to me like if i if i had <laughs> you know tons of time on my hands you know everybody has their like fantasies they'd want to live out and that's just so like almost endearing that he would have this fantasy to be a, a cowboy and and live it out like that so the, the man the man with no name specifically right he's got the poncho he's got the yeah. little yeah. cigarillo <laughs> yeah <laughs> It's weird that he has her dress as a maid, though. Call me Bronco. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I do have a question. Sidebar. Uh, Who is that girl? Is that a prostitute? I kind of think it's a call girl. I kind of think it is, too. (laughs) Because I don't really... maybe, Maybe I was wrong and she was in another scene, like in the background or something. But I always thought, like, that would be, like, here we are just going to live out this ultimate thing. Like... You'd have to pay someone to do that, right? <laughs> yeah. So well, this is no. She yeah. she comes out of the car and says, "I thought this was a costume party." Okay. Well, it could still be a call girl, I suppose. It, it could. Well, I don't know. It, it doesn't could even... either way. I yeah. Think. Like either someone that he's like used his charm and everything to convince to come with him as a girlfriend, but I think it it probably makes a lot more sense to be a call girl. It would just be easier to yeah. get like the thing done, right? Like I want to go dressed yeah. up as this, and I want you to call me Bronco. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, call me Bronco. Weird parallel to Power of the Dog, by the way. Uh- <laughs> yeah, weird parallel. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, that's so. Like that's another reason why I'm like I want to delay a little bit. Or, well, I like, never thought of it until I saw sh- it this time. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I didn't think about it either. But like, there's that's definitely like his sexual deviant phase of 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 yeah. eternity. You know, you, you know he did a lot more. <laughs> he, he, I mean, he kicks it off by like, like manipulating the the chick uh, in the Nancy. In the, yeah, Nancy. Nancy. That's right. Who went to school with which took Mrs. Mrs. Wilson Walsh. or whatever? Just Mrs., yeah, an insane amount of time to do. Just how many days? <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I like that that movie. Every time the movie could get bogged down in something, it doesn't. Yeah, and yeah. it just moves right. on. Yeah. It's like, this is a yeah. part of the thing and you move on. Cause of course it would happen because it would make sense. The movie's trying to be logical. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I, in another way that other movies such as Palm Springs can get bogged <laughs> down in that for a little bit and mine it for comedic gold mm-hmm. here. We just do a couple jokes and move on to the next thing. Like next is the suicide phase. Yeah. Next is like <laughs> yeah, the helping got... people phase. Next is like the, the learning piano phase. Yeah. yeah. Dan, that's actually a really good scene though. And it, it, it really ties into kind of what, I would do if I was in isolation, <laughs> you know, like eventually it would come down to real life cosplay and not caring what other people thought. I, it's, I feel it's like that would happen a lot quicker than any of us would want to admit. It would probably happen day three. Yeah, like the first actually. day would be like shock. Second day would be like 
minor speeding. And the third day would be like, maybe I am a cowboy. Yeah. Did you say minor speeding? You're just like going 10 miles over the speed limit? Like maybe well, 15 to live dangerously? Minor speeding for me is probably felony speeding for most people. But I, I'd probably like try donuts. Oh. You know? Like I've never done donuts in my car. Yeah. I might, I might knock over some mailboxes, you know? Like with yeah. my car door as I yeah. go past them. Your neighborhood's really good for that. You yeah. got all sorts of mailboxes There's out there. All sorts of mailboxes. Yeah. It's true. Fling out my Ford door, knock them down. Yeah. Jesse, what, what about you? What's your favorite scene? All right. So growing up, Ned Ryerson, all the Ned Ryerson interactions <laughs> individually <laughs> constituted the entirety of Groundhog Day to me. I always loved just just Ned. Ned, Needle Nose Ned, Ned the Head. Uh, Come on, buddy. Case Western. Hi, Ned Ryerson. I did the whistling belly button trick at the high school talent show. Bing. Ned Ryerson got the shingles real bad senior year. Almost didn't graduate. Bing again. Ned Ryerson. I dated your sister, Mary Pat, a couple times until you told me not to anymore. Well, Ned Ryerson. Bing. <laughs> and then uh, growing up, I loved I loved the scene where he punched him. That was such a. Yes. <laughs> that was always a thing where it's just like, you know. People are annoying and you can never just punch them because you have to face so many consequences. But here is this guy. He could just punch anybody who's annoying to him. And uh, that was maybe a little wish fulfillment thing. Like, what if, what if I could just do that for a day? That'd be great. I, I, then now, I'm, I don't know. I, the whole movie kind of blurs together for me as like one one great scene. But like, I think one of, one of my favorite funniest and just kind of depressing scenes scene where he just is he's sitting at the restaurant he has all that food stacked in front of him <laughs> starts going off about how he's a god he's not the god well he doesn't know <laughs> I, I don't think <laughs> I, I don't think sure. uh, okay. I, don't even, I don't even need to floss <laughs> China's piece of cake and lighting a cigarette uh, okay he shows that piece of angel food cake all the way in <laughs> so did, did anyone else throw back to another episode did anyone else get real cool hand Luke vibes from this a little oh, bit yeah, <laughs> when, yeah. he's, when he's getting the eggs in there like he's I remember you saying, uh, someone was saying on that episode, they kind of gagged a little bit when that scene came up. I mean, and I, I we gagged. all gagged a little bit when that scene came <laughs> yeah. up. I gagged a little bit watching him navigate the corridors of the sides of his cheeks <laughs> to get that whole thing in there. <laughs> he did that in front of a person, yeah. a lady. <laughs> no, Without no breaking words. eye contact. <laughs> he doesn't just do uh, that. He has a whole pitcher of coffee that he's pouring <laughs> down his throat. <laughs> Apparently he uh, he was offered a spittoon or whatever they use a spit bucket after that scene and he refused it and they said <laughs> he said he got really sick after that scene because he after all that food he stuffed in his face he uh, didn't do what he should have done which is just spit it up yeah well how many takes yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I guess during the the making of this he was going through a, a pretty rough time in his life I think there was a divorce that was happening in Bill Murray's life and of course this famously ended the relationship between him and Harold Ramis until Harold Ramis's deathbed in 2014 they were best friends I mean look at their credits together mm -hmm. you know and what's really sad is is with that knowledge for the first time watching this movie again there are numerous moments where I don't think they had enough makeup to help Bill Murray out because there's times where he is he is rough looking where he looks haggard kind of beyond the scope of the movie. Like he looks like really pale and it, it doesn't, it looks like they're trying to, to help him with makeup, but it's not really working. And there's multiple moments where I wonder like, is this acting or, or, or are you just being depressed on screen? <laughs> it feels really genuine. Like when he's yeah. talking about being God and maybe, 
yeah, that that comes across as like, a, I don't know, maybe a celebrity having a crisis, maybe yeah. thinking he is kind of God here for a second. And you describing that story of the spittoon, like, I don't, that's a Phil Connors play right there. I, I, I think that kind of lends to the genuineness of this movie because it feels surprisingly genuine. It feels like he, he's actually going through most of this stuff and the kind of haggardness that he goes through throughout the movie. I think it actually lends to it. Like I, when he's depressed and suicidal, he looks far worse. I, I was looking back over his filmography kind of last night, just out of curiosity. And I realized that this is probably the beginning of real sad Murray, right? Yeah. But real sad Murray does not ever now go away until just a couple years ago where we've gone into doesn't give a f- old man Murray. <laughs> but there was a solid like 15 year stretch of just sad Murray. Like remember him Rushmore, right? Where he's like smoking a cigarette <laughs> in the elevator and Max yeah. is like, you doing okay? And he lights another cigarette and puts it in and then pours a bottle of gin into a Coke can in his chest pocket and says, I've been better. <laughs> Yeah, it's sad, Murray. And that, that's a great scene, though, Jesse. I, I like that one a lot. How, how about you, Mike? I like all these scenes. Picking a favorite scene out of Groundhog Day is like picking gold out of gold. I was really... I, the thing that made me laugh the most this time around was when he... When they first get stuck and they like they're trying to leave Punxsutawney and they get turned back. He's out in the cold, like he's shivering and stuff. But the then... Cops. He's talking to the cops, but then, but then they come back and like he's been turned around. He decides not to go try to walk to Philadelphia and freeze to death. <laughs> they go back and he's on the phone and he's like trying to call someone, anybody. And he's like, don't you have like a line for people in need and celebrities? And I'm like, I'm both. I'm both. And then suddenly some guy like with a shovel comes out of nowhere and just whacks him on the head. <laughs> he's like, oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> It's great. I just love that. I like when he's out there shivering with the cops. He's like, no, it's going to come up from the south and push off to the east. He just, like, yeah. <laughs> love that. What about you, Vito? I think my favorite one is after he has the magical date with, with Rita where everything goes really well. And he has like the impromptu snowball fight and yeah. he falls down next to her and like the stars are aligning. And then every attempt after that does not work because it, it just happened to be like of course he did a bunch of planning and he plotted the answers out and he knew what to say but there mm-hmm. was genuine chemistry between them this scene kind of shows that they're making this the, the the snowman and then the kids jump out at them and you can't plan that thing and when he does try and plan it it's just so painful it's so yeah. that thing gave me like anxiety for my entire life yeah He's like, ha ha ha, look at you, Rugrats, ha ha, I'd like to have kids someday. Kids just like you kids, ha ha ha. I want to adopt kids. Are you, can I adopt you? Are you up for adoption? <laughs> and then and then she's looking at him with this increasing alarm, and then he like flops down next to her and scooches in real close. <laughs> what are you doing? I, I love that scene because it, it actually made a big impact on me and that you can't, it told me that you can't script moments of real chemistry between you and other people. And then oh, the yeah. harder you try and do that, the more artificial that'll seem which is a big deal for me because I, I still struggle with anxiety like greatly. But when I was a teenager, I didn't realize how big of a problem I had with it. And I would try and minimize that anxiety by trying to plan my social interactions a little bit better, try and minimize um, impromptu interactions because those would always stress me out. And I realized looking back how awkward that made some moments feel with people that are close to me because they knew that it was kind of set up. Mm-hmm. But 
I was okay because then I felt comfortable with that. The longer that time goes on, the more I realize that sometimes the best moments you have with your friends are are moments you really couldn't plan for and are just about how you you two people interact naturally with each other. And that was the first yeah. time a movie had shown that to me so clearly, you know? Yeah. I would you say it was it was seminal for you? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Bing! 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 <laughs> seminal. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, that I think that seems pretty seminal for me too. Like I think I also just realized that, uh, like, I guess I've always known, or maybe I, it sounds this movie that I've known that you can't, you just can't fake like some, some genuine interactions with people. And if you try to fake it, if you try to plan it that much to the degree where you're angling your body down right next to them, it will be not a real connection, not a real friendship. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's so many people I wanted to be friends with where I tried to do something that didn't seem natural to get closer to them because I knew that we would be friends, but it never worked because of how weird it was that I was trying so hard. Yeah. But I was like, no, it'll work. You just got to give me a chance. Like, I I made up this whole scenario where this will work. Why can't you just be on board? And they're like, you are weird. (laughs) Your energy is very strange right now. (laughs) And I like that this movie, like, it clearly shows Andy McDowell's reaction as, like, very... Yeah, like you were saying, very alarmed and increasingly more so. And uh, I like that there's this very clear moment where it's like, yeah, this is bad. What he's doing is not good and it won't work. The, as a kid, that was like very instrumental because you always need the strong reactions to things. And it was a reaction so obvious, but subtle enough for me to think about throughout the years. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to put it. I love that series of slaps, too. <laughs> it's so great. Like, like the night keeps getting repeated and he keeps... Yeah. He keeps being unable to like finally, I don't know, close the close the deal, close the yeah. deal, yeah. seal the deal. And it ends in like different points in the same exact scenario that you keep setting up, but or, each time. Yeah. Or different locations even in front of her place. Yeah. That's what right? I love like, too. Yeah. yeah. He's trying like sometimes different he gets approaches. So close. Yeah. <laughs> like sometimes he's like in the room and it doesn't work. And sometimes it's like they're just standing out by the cameras. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she's yeah. A, she's a great character. I feel like in some ways she's supposed to be the audience. She sees Phil for what he really is. And at any moment that she sees his true intentions or that he's putting on a show or whatever, she's kind of like she's taken out of it and she slaps him every time. And it kind of it makes you like her a lot more. And by making you like her more, you want Phil to be like kind of raised up to her level like you do want to see them together at the end of the movie, but it's in a very like you want it to be real. You want it to be genuine, which is, I think, mm-hmm. a really it says a lot about her character that they didn't just make her, you know, she kind of doesn't have flaws to a certain yeah. extent. She's kind of just this perfect, perfect woman that, you know, every man should should be drawn to. And with the with the exception of her drink order. Yeah, um, that's a terrible... I don't know what that was. <laughs> Sweet Vermouth on the rocks with a twist. Sweet Vermouth is so bad. Bill Murray cringing so when he... Yeah, when he finally sips it and makes that face like, yes, that is the appropriate face for that drink. I like his drink order though too because it's also bad. He's like, Jim Beam, ice, water. What? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you needed water with your ice with your Jim Beam, sir. <laughs> <laughs> That's something I didn't notice until this last time I watched it. Cause I think every other time I was too young to like 
know what drinks were and know what combinations were. And like, yeah, it's something that, you know, as a kid, you're like, a drink is a drink. It must be fancy and it must taste good. But yeah, sweet vermouth on the rocks with the twist. I always thought that would be like a delicious, like, oh, only the cool people know about this sort of drink. <laughs> no, it's very plain. Yeah. And it does not taste good. It's way too sweet. And it's fairly yicky. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, so now that we've covered some of our favorite scenes, uh, maybe we can talk about some questions about this movie that we have. Jesse, uh, you had an interesting question that I think could springboard us into a number of topics. Yeah, um, like I, I've seen this movie throughout the years. I've thought about a lot of things in this movie, but one thing that for whatever reason I never thought about and it struck me watching it this time is the correlation between Phil the character and Phil the groundhog. Like clearly they're both named the same thing. And at one point in the movie, Phil Connors even kind of relates himself to the groundhog, which is why he like jumps off the cliff with him. Right? He thinks <laughs> don't drive ground- angry. <laughs> yeah, he thinks the groundhog is in some way causing this winter for him, and the groundhog must be stopped. Must be stopped. And so, like, I, I was wondering, and the, the key thing with the groundhog is that the groundhog sees the shadow, and it makes this winter drag on and on for six more weeks. Um, and I think. I think that's an implication that Phil has a shadow too. And he's, he has something in his life that is keeping and perpetuating this, this cycle. So, so what is Phil's shadow? This is an interesting question because it could be something so general as just his misanthropy, his, his smugness, uh, his condescension or, or narcissism. This is related to something I was thinking about. Like, what is it inside of Phil that changes? Like, it, this is almost a shadow to your shadow question, right? Mm. Is you know, if you're, you're talking about what is it he's leaving behind, I want to ask what it is that he that he gains. So, my dad, when when we watched this movie together, he said that Phil needs to learn how to be a good person so that he can be out of the time loop, which I suppose is what happens. But he does learn to be a good person so much so that he can be all around town at any moment to rescue anyone that can be rescued, and forgets about those that can't be rescued, like the old man, right? So the old man, he can't save him. Mm -hmm. No matter what he does, that old man is dying today because as the nurse says, it's just his time. So in the end, it's not that he learns to be a good person so much as I guess it's that he learned to be a good person to his producer or that he (laughs) fell in love. (laughs) So that would mean the shadow would be that he had been rude to his mate. I guess if, if, if they're like chosen for each other in some sort of faded cosmic sense, because that's how well, he gets out of the time loop is that he's genuine and sweet with Rita. Right. Well, it, this is some dark I, I, shit here, man. I thought it was a little <laughs> bit more than that. I thought the reason sure, for, for getting with Rita is because Rita is looking for the perfect man. So in order to get with her, he needs to be his perfect self. In fact, maybe, maybe that, maybe a shadow is, I, I maybe you're right. Maybe it's the the narcissism and and, and all that, but may, maybe the shadow is. Maybe he's not being his real self. Mm. Mm. Um, you know when he's saying like me, 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 also me. When she's like listing all the qualities <laughs> she's looking for in a man, <laughs> plays an instrument, isn't afraid to cry. We are talking about a man, right? <laughs> you know, I'm really close. I'm really close, close on this one. one. <laughs> and and he's he's being facetious, but what if he actually is? What if what if um, he does become that? Right? He's he's right. That is him. That is yeah. really him. 
mm-hmm. if he if he chooses. So is she controlling is for somehow does she have the power of the time loop that she is unaware of? Like she she bestows like she has to recognize the qualities in him for him to get out. Sort of. Well, so I know when this was written, this was written as like a purgatory story. Yes. Like Punxsutawney, Purgatory, and then I, I can't help but think of uh, Andy McDowell as a sort of like, you know, Dante's, uh, like, Dul- Beatrice. Dulce- Beatrice. 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 I was about to say yeah. Dulcinea. Close. Don Quixote. It's co- close. Yeah, close. It is, yeah. Yeah, either way. Either way, it Basically actually works. the same thing. <laughs> right? But in, in this case, Beatrice, like, pointing him towards something, something greater, something higher, making him more who he should be. So I guess that's functionally in the story. I think that's how she how she acts. I'm not like I I don't think she's actually that. I don't think she's actually an angel. But they actually make her kind of angelic. I think the reckon the recognition of her like angelic perfect nature with the the sculpture at the end is is yeah. also a nod to that. The, the yeah. hair is almost a halo. Yeah, yeah. And there's a like with her love of poetry as well. There's kind of like an elevated sense that she oh. she loves the higher things, and I think in one of the poems, she recites a poem to him at one point. I forget the I forget the exact poem, but it talks about like a second death that like a man that's essentially it says something like a man who is focused on himself dies twice. Yeah. And the the way I understood that was like you could almost see Phil's shadow as him like living a dead life and that in order to get out of the time loop, he has to truly live and truly living means to be outside of yourself, to care about others, to, yeah, to be the man that Rito is looking for, but also that we should all, you know, strive to be. And I know that's very general, but I think there's definitely that like death and life are so closely tied in the movie and I always, yeah, I always saw that, that that poem could be kind of hinting at that, that like in order to live again, he has to, you know, live for the first time in his life kind of. I like that. I actually feel um, a sense of closure given this discussion that I haven't actually felt about this movie before because it's always been kind of a, he was good and then the movie's over and then you're supposed to be okay with that because that's kind of all that is on the surface for, for the movie to give you. But I, I actually feel a deeper understanding now that we're even just broaching this seriously. Because <laughs> this, I think, has come up multiple times, like uh, in college, you're out drinking late at night and you're like, what? What even happened in Groundhog Day? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, the logistics of it. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's part of part of what makes this movie legendary. It's, it's like the Joker, right? They never explain it. They never yeah. even attempt to explain it. Yeah. It just happens. And then you're left with all the consequences afterwards. And that leaves conversations like this open. If they had bothered to explain any of that, I don't think this would be nearly as interesting. No, no. And I think it's as we go forward and talk about the other three movies in our um, in our time loop romance series, we'll find that this is the only one that doesn't attempt an explanation for the time loop. All yeah. the other ones either have mm, a reason yeah. Or just simply say, it's this way because of this thing. And we're not going to really push it any further than that. Okay? But all the other ones, like, it's either about getting out of the time loop, trying to figure out how to control the time loop, or trying to figure out how to make sure this doesn't happen to anyone else ever. And this one is like, it happened to him. It took a really long time. 
And there's no explanation. Yep, he was good. <laughs> ah. <laughs> Bing! Um. <laughs> so I, I was looking up alternate endings or like alternate scripts of this movie, and one ending they had at one point, this was, I think, one of the first renditions, is he finally gets to Rita, they, they're walking down, they're holding hands or whatever, and he says he loves her. And she says, I don't really think I care about you. And then it's implied that she starts a time loop. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I, I, mean, that, I mean, that would be a, a nice little metaphor of like trying to trying to get the girl you like to to like you over and over and that, over. That's and how over they again. make that movie now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that it. It'd be I was a like, sequel. Yeah. I was like, wow, that is. That's an indie movie that I would that I'm pretty sure I've seen before. I can't yeah. I can't picture what that movie is, but I'm pretty sure I've seen it. Um, I guess that's kind of what this is, but it's it's more than that. Like like you're saying, because it's like, well, yeah, he wants to get this girl to like her, but it's not even really clear why he likes her to begin with. It's mostly just like he wants to sleep with her. Yep. But uh, initially, yeah. Yeah. But it's more. It just sort of happens. Like love. Like oh, also, weirdly, I, I always thought at the end he slept with her. But this time around. No. Yeah, this time around, I noticed he starts, like, kissing her. And she's like, why weren't you like that last night? It's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, that never happened? <laughs> I, I did read that that was a big discussion. Like, they filmed it both ways, that they'd, they'd wake up with or without their clothes on, basically. And... That it was like a last minute decision. They were like, no, they're going to wake up with their clothes on and nothing happened. And I reading that, I was kind of surprised. I was like, I feel like I would not like this movie nearly as much if it, yeah. you know, if it was that that got him out of the time loop, you know. Well, because it would, it would she rejects be so him. disingenuous. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, because she rejects him because he wants to have sex with her. So it would defeat the entire premise of the movie almost. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and he would be a creep. You know? Right. You would remain the creep that he started as. Yeah. Yeah. The movie would end with a grand victory that he is out of the time loop and is a confirmed creep. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let maybe last question. Dan, uh, what, what was your question? Would you like to pose it? I had a question. This is like, it's a little more existential, but whether the ending that Phil reaches, obviously this is a, a comedy and, you know, we want a happy ending. And for sure, the movie is better off with a happy ending. And yet I was still left with the thought at the end of it, like, is this ending for Phil inevitable? You know, is is the redemption arc that we see, is it inevitable that like any person you stuck in a time loop like this, would they always end up changed? A changed person, would they end up for the good? Would they end up, you know, kind and... Or is, you know, a time loop not a perfect solution to people's problems? Like, given enough time, would we all become a better person? Or is that not a guarantee? I, I, have, a, I have a fast answer to this question, right? Is that everything that rises must converge, right? <laughs> so eventually, if everything is going upwards, it must join up to something, is the literal reading of that. It's not actually the idea behind it. But I feel like wherever you would stop someone would dictate where they would be at. I don't know if inevitably you would lead yourself to a life of kindness, but I think at some point you would. At some point you'd try it just for something different, right? You'd get bored. you get bored of... Debauchery. Debauchery, yeah. And then you might get bored of asceticism, right? You might get bored of virtue. Yeah. 
or you might not. You know, it really depends on what I guess we would argue is the natural inclination for a human being. Well, what's what's weird about this movie is when he when he becomes the good person, he's saving everybody. Uh, he's doing everything about the town. It's like genuinely selfless because most of the time, right, you can find some sort of selfish motivation in somebody. Normally, it's a feeling associated with it. And people get feelings associated with things because, you know, from now on, that person's going to think of them in like a heroic sort of way. But like because he's stuck in a time loop, nobody will ever remember anything that he's ever done. He has to make this goodwill happen anew every day. Every Mm -hmm. single day. Like, and in order to do that, you have to not just go on like a brief stint. It has to be like ingrained in you as a person to make this sort of day happen. So I, I I think I'll go even further and say, like, I I think what you were describing, Vito, I think you're right. I think somebody will inevitably try to be like a good person for like a little while. Yeah. But I don't think they will do this. I think this is a very conscious choice, and I don't think, I don't think human beings are inevitably try literally everything in their scope. If if they if they are trapped in a loop, I think they they will tend towards some things. They get stuck in ruts, um, and that's kind of that's even alluded to at one point in this movie um, when he's just like, "Well, what would you do if your day if your consequences didn't matter and you were." When you woke up in the same place every day, and then the guy sitting next to him like sums it up for me. <laughs> <laughs> After he like yeah, takes a shot and burps. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And some people are like, in a way, I was realizing that in some ways my life is kind of like this. I do the same thing every day. Every Thursday night, here I am at the podcast, and then every day I'm I'm waking up and doing work. I'm like I'm feeding a baby and uh, I got kids. Like I I have a routine. I've got like a, uh, I I don't even travel much. Like I I feel a little bit stuck sometimes, but I I think everybody does to some degree. I don't, I I honestly think that time loop idea isn't even that science fiction. I think we're all kind of stuck in this. Like this is, I think this is mostly how life works. Yeah. And people don't always, aren't always good. That's why it's appealing, right? That's why yeah. these these sorts of stories are, is because when you get stuck in the grind of middle age and family, where you can't avoid your responsibilities anymore, and the best thing you can do is seek to improve your station more, which means you need to grind more. <laughs> yeah. uh, it just feels like I'm stuck in a really terrible level of an RPG that I did not want to start playing. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah. I, I think yeah. I think to conclude that thought or some or to to continue that thought maybe. It does seem, though, like, man, I feel like I've gotten stuck in loops with my my life, my mm-hmm. real my real world life. Like, mm-hmm. I have a real life. And sometimes mm-hmm. you sort of forget that because you just keep doing this loop. You're like, oh, I'm just doing the same thing yeah. every day in these last two years, especially. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I wake up, I go to my office and in my house, I go in there for eight hours or, or so. And then I come back out and I stay here. This is, this is where I do my life. But the way to break out of that is by recognizing the the humanity of the people around you and, and by choosing, like, this, he's having fun at the end. It's not yeah. like this is a chore yeah. to him. He's playing mm-hmm. piano. Yeah, glasses. like, he's playing, but, but it's not just that. Not just that, like, oh, I'm having fun playing piano. He's having fun every day becoming, like, the guy that the town loves. Mm-hmm. 
Like he's becoming the the guy of the town. Like that's fun. Yeah. Because he goes and like he saves this kid who's flying out of the tree and like doing all never this. thanks this is me. Aaron's. <laughs> this is Aaron's. He's having fun doing it. And it's that like consistent sort of sort of thing uh, that brings right. you out. Like choosing to choosing to realize the life of the other people around you that it's not just you. I think that that's a big yeah. Right, and, and truth in life, and and that this movie, the time loop sort of idea, yeah, uh, lends itself to, yeah, and even when he's having fun in that that scene in the the ballroom or whatever where everyone's dancing, it's he's still like wearing glasses and he's just having fun, like making everyone else have a good time, right? He's not out there break dancing or something. He's just having fun, like putting the music on, and uh, there's still something selfless about what he's doing. No, it's just, it's a thought that I've had too about, you know, you hear all these stories of men in their, you know, having a midlife crisis. Mm -hmm. It's got to be because they have that, that daily grind that just becomes too much for them and they have to mix it up and they have to return to their childhood and experience something new again. Yeah. I feel like it's, again, it's, it's kind of neat to see a movie like this where somebody goes through all of those stages and like experiences all of it. And this is what they come to is the selflessness is what really brings happiness. And yeah, I feel like in some ways that's like, like the, the, the people that are older in my life that I admire the most are the ones that seem to have learned that lesson. Mm-hmm. Like they've become a selfless human being. They're interested in me and my life. They're interested in my family. They're interested in other people around them. And those tend to be the, older people in my life that I respect more and, mm-hmm. you know, enjoy being around. This, this podcast is my middle midlife crisis. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what we're doing <laughs> every I week. Love, I, I love the idea of inevitability in this movie. I don't have a whole lot to say about it, but just like, it's something that I, it, it awoke that thought in me, those ideas like gravity's rainbow, you know, oh, yeah. the truth coming inevitably uh, to light. In Lob rocks. Out, right. Or whatever it is. The question about like, does something have to occur the way that, um, what's her name, slaps Bill Murray every every night, every night. It's just, this is an inevitable outcome. That's what it seems like as you're going through mm-hmm. it. That like, no matter what he does, it's just going to end up with him slap, him getting slapped by this girl. But in fact, there's this possibility of, of breaking out of that loop. There was by... just a skill tree he hadn't unlocked yet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Dude, so much of this made me think of like, this is just like playing Fallout New Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I guess I guess it to completely answer the question, it does seem inevitable that that goodness will be sought after, if only out of a sense of boredom initially. And then afterwards, maybe out of a sense of satisfaction or fulfillment that you'd previously not expected to be there. That, that's that that's what i think we've, we've kind of settled on no? that's what i'm shooting for in my life getting that's... bored of all the bad things and and eventually deciding to try to be good i think <laughs> i think it's inev- inevitable in this movie i don't think it's inevitable as a whole mm. Mm. i don't think it's inevitable for everybody you see if we started doing that we would have to cut this recording and then start a whole new one <laughs> and it'd be about that whole topic because that, that's a big one um yeah but i, I yeah. If you get enough monkeys in a room, do you get an inevitable? That is, that is, Some billion you know, years. I've been thinking about the monkey scenario like all day, ever since like Dan pitched this question to us. It's just like, do you actually get Shakespeare? 
Would you, or would they just keep on typing A W A W A W A W? Or I mean, statistically speaking, yes, you In- do. Inevitably, yes, yeah. Statistically speaking, inevitably they would write your life story. Statistically speaking, if, yeah, yeah. If they actually use every every keyboard, but what if they just choose to use three? If you lock them in there long enough. I mean, what, they what the, will. the question always begins on an infinite time scale. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But like even on an infinite time scale, like I just don't think like me personally, I have like a few things that that I gravitate towards and that I would probably get stuck in a rut doing over and over and over again. I don't like I know I can branch out. It's possible. I know that's possible. You're doing this podcast. Yeah, you, well, yes. That's a branch out. You hadn't been doing podcasts before. But it's not That's really right. a branch out anymore. This is just part of the inevitable. But will I, 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 I'm saying he's will I do every podcast? Inevitably, <laughs> inevitably, there is a universe where it comes to Slash Filmcast. It's Dave Chen. It's Devendra Hardwar. It's Jeff Kanata and Jesse. <laughs> no, I, I'm talking like, I don't know, any podcast out there. Like, what, what, will I, would I have the same name as Joe Rogan, right? The, oh, the, the Jesse Moore experience. <laughs> <laughs> Coming at you live from my spare bedroom. <laughs> well, I think we're going to have to leave that as it sits. We, we I, will. But like, what if the monkeys, no. like, do they okay. reproduce <laughs> like, in there? Like, like, this is where I always go. Like, and so like, is the presence, the ever present, like reality of the typewriters, does that cause them to evolve and develop like human intelligence? I feel like Jesse because has if to that's go the home, case, right? then definitely they're going to write Shakespeare because it's going to be like a bottle episode. Jesse has to be home by midnight. It's 1135 there. I love bottle episodes. (laughs) (laughs) Bottle episodes are great. Big fan. All right. The monkeys are are interesting. We'll talk about it more at another time. I think they're reproducing in there. So, (laughs) hey, Dan, is this a dad movie? Uh, Absolutely. I don't know. I don't know if there's anything more dad than this. It's uh yeah, it's got everything. It's hilarious. It's got Bill Murray and I'll definitely show it to my kids and I hope they watch it and think of me. Cool. Yeah. What about you, Jesse? Yeah, basically. Yeah, no. Yeah, absolutely the same thing. It's definitely a dad movie. It's, it's great to see with kids. It's great to remind myself what it means to be, you know, a human choosing to be good. And I'm going to pass it on to my kids. I want my kids to think about this movie. It's just so funny. It's just such a, a great comedy. Yeah. I uh, love everything about it. How about you, Mike? Yeah, this is absolutely a dad movie. Yeah. Like you guys said. Reproducing monkeys or no. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's in the subtext. Um, <laughs> No, man, I uh, I love that it's so it's such a lighthearted and deep movie at the same time. It's a rom com with some serious like existential questions. It's a time loop romance. It's a time loop romance. It's mm-hmm. the foundational it time is. loop romance. It is. I love yeah. time loops. I I love. Okay, I, I'm gonna throw this in here. I love time loops because they they are like that sort of bottle reality that they put you in. Uh, you love bottle episodes, as you said. And I love because what they do, like like with a standard story, what you do is you end up like like the the things that happen sort of cause the change in the characters. Here, it has to be like the self reflection that the person goes through. It forces the person over a long long period of time to have that self reflection and change. 
And what this movie has that's really great is it does it in like an hour and a half. Yeah. But then what other movies that I think I have not been as big a fan of, but you really love, is that it does it to you in like real time. Yeah. So I Mike's like, that. have you seen this four hour movie about self-reflection? <laughs> he learned something. I'm like, no, I haven't. That sounds my so painful. This is my favorite thing. I love it. It's great. Vito, is it a dad movie? I think Bill Murray's implied dad movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this is one of the Bill Murray. This like, like Stripes is fun, but it's not very good. <laughs> like Ghostbusters is fun. I'm going to say it's probably not very good, but it's pretty fun. This is fun and good. Yeah. It's, it's a classic for the ages. And yeah, I'm, I'm so happy that we get to start off a fresh new little series with just an all time classic movie that I think maybe people have kind of forgotten about due to like the influx of time loop movies that we've gotten. I mean, I think we got like three in the past two years. They just keep coming out. And something I'd like to do uh, going forward is to tease for the next episode. I'm going to name two movies that it won't be. <laughs> okay? What won't it be, Vito? <laughs> it will not be a map of tiny perfect things. And it will also not be Happy Death Day. Um, mm. So enjoy that, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> but for all of us at Not Your Father's Movies, I'm Vito. I'm Mike. I'm Dan. I'm Jesse. Good night.